From MPB Think Radio, this is Deep South Dining, the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. I'm Malcolm White with my buddy Carol Puckett. We're going to talk about the arrival of summer. Yes, summer is here. And all across Mississippi, farmer markets are getting geared up. We will make our own version of summer succotash. And a cup of this and a dash of that, we'll talk about what's going on in Mississippi food scene all throughout the summer kitchens and the summer season. Take a quick trip to Vicksburg with a spotlight and talk to our good friend Bill Ferris there. We'll talk about shell peas, English peas, butter beans, lady peas, snap beans. Maybe talk about squash and tomatoes, too. We want to know what your summer secret ingredients is. Let's talk about what's cooking in your kitchen. Give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING or food at mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome to Deep South Dining. I'm Malcolm White. Hello, Carol. Hey, Mal. How are you this morning? I am so good. It's beautiful. It's hot, and it's summertime. And, and it's Mississippi. Things are happening. Yeah. The ground is a, is, is a buzz <laughs> with vegetables, and the seas are crawling with seafood. The Gulf is yes, amazing. Yes, and butter beans are headed this way. Butter beans, squash, tomatoes, eggplants, all of the nightshades are upon us. They are, indeed. Nightshades are the vegetables that have a pith, like a tomato, a watermelon, a squash, a pepper. And they grow at night. I guess, in the shade. (laughs) So what did you do over the weekend? It was a long Memorial Day weekend, and uh, we weren't here live last Monday. We were off goofing around. Uh, I went down to the coast, and what did you do? Well, I went to some farmer's markets, and, of course, I did some fishing. Mm. Um, Are you going to ask me what I ate this weekend? (laughs) Yeah, what did you eat? (laughs) Not only what did you do, but what did you eat? Well, since our last show, um, really the best thing I ate was some wedding cake. Mm, wedding cake. Yes, it was good because it was your wedding cake. Ah, yes, indeed. And it was um, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And um, it was a beautiful wedding, of course, with a beautiful bride. But um, I have thought a lot about it mm-hmm. the past week. For me, it was uh, your rehearsal dinner was unlike any rehearsal dinner I've ever been to. And it was at Helen Mouse and just huge pans of fresh vegetables. Yeah, but, now those were shell, fresh shell peas. Yes, and, uh, and it was some summer succotash. And some summer succotash. <laughs> it was actually the first thing in the line. But um, I know for a lot of people there, it was a very poignant and emotional experience because there was one person who was not with us, mm-hmm. who was with us. That's and that right. was uh, your brother, Hal, who who died six years ago. And his presence, it, you know, it, it, it filled the room. And um, it was a food memory. It was a, it was a food memory. And it's got me thinking a lot about food memories this week. But I remember even at his funeral, uh-huh. 
at St. Richard's Church, there was a big stock pot. <laughs> there was, with flowers in it. With flowers in it. because Cleta Ellington arranged. He used one of his giant gumbo pots and, and put the flowers. Because, uh, you know, people from all over think, think of Hal and think of his soups. And there was a very touching moment at your rehearsal dinner. And I was hoping that you would tell the, re- the readers, readers, the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be happy to tell. So when my brother died... One of the things I did was I went into the kitchen and started looking through his recipes and looking at his knives and such. But he had left two uh, containers of soup, which were the last two soups he made. And I grabbed them and I put them in my freezer. And they've been in my freezer for six years. And I got them out last Saturday uh, at the rehearsal dinner. And uh, we warmed them up and they were fabulous. Uh, and, and everybody at the dinner uh, Got a, got a taste of Hal's last soups, and there was a crawfish corn bisque and uh, a, what he called a black and white bean soup, and they were both fantastic. Well, they not only got a taste, but it was in the form of a toast. It was right. the best wedding you know, toast to a bride and groom I've ever experienced, and you had a big round tray of little portion cups like you use in restaurants. So. Right. Everybody there got a portion, and we toasted to Hal and toasted to you and Kara. And um, it, it was very emotional for me and for the people standing around me. Yeah, and it was a communion, you know, bread and wine, the communion. This was a soup because that was what, what Hal did. But it was fantastic. It was great to have my brother there through his uh, uh, creations, through what I call his his folklore, his his real talent of making soups and, and his soup recipes. But also this week, uh, we, we lost a giant in the food industry, talking about food memories. The, the great chef uh, from Dookie Chase, Leah Chase, passed at 96. And what a woman. She had, you know, her career and her restaurant had such an impact on food in America. And she's... Yeah, you know, she fed civil rights workers, freedom riders, presidents, right. famous musicians, and um, well, and you and she had fed the gr- me. She fed you. You had the great privilege of of traveling down after Katrina to help Leah clean out a restaurant and to spend some time with her to to get going again, a rebirth, if you would, of of Dookie Chase, which is a restaurant I've always loved. Going to Dookie Chase and getting the fried chicken and the gumbo and the greens. It's it's a remarkable place. And, and, and it was the first upscale restaurant for African-Americans. At that time, uh, if you were black, you could not go to a Galatoire's or a Commander's Palace. So right. she turned her husband's sandwich shop into, you know, pushed it into to a fine restaurant. But after Katrina, I went down with the group from Southern Foodways for maybe three or four weekends, and my job was cleaning the pots. Wow. I mean, that place, it, it was a mess. She had had tons of water. Uh, all of her art was saved, but we had to take out all the ranges and the equipment mm-hmm. that had gotten underwater. But I gladly, happily washed pots for her. And at that time, she was 82, and she was grateful but she was a good boss of all of us she wanted to get as much done so she uh able yeah. managed a, a good chef is a taskmaster because you don't get anything done by people standing around jammering yeah and, and she worked right up until her death uh you know maybe a month before mm-hmm. but 
On Holy Thursday, before Easter, she has had for years a, a, a historic meal. It's called gumbo zerb. Yeah, it's green gumbo, right? It is. It's a green gumbo. It's made with nine different greens and herbs. And people come from all over. They make their reservations sometime a year in advance. There are about 700 people. Wow. And John Foltz has taken over the making of the gumbo under her guidance. But um, she was not there. She worked up until two or three days before Holy Thursday. So working when you're 96, Mm. that's pretty pretty amazing. So, you know, chef chef hats off to, to the great Creole. Uh, chef and uh, civil rights leader uh, Leah Chase from New Orleans, who's who passed at 96, and and these are food memories. We've talked about my brother's soup. We've talked about the passing of Leah Chase. I wonder if other people, our listeners, uh, have food memories. You know, memories attached to meals, holidays, people that they've known in their lives, even going out to restaurants. And it would be great if people could email in sure. too. And I, I think about an article I wrote. Many years ago, it was about uh, my grandmother, and it was called She Got the Silver, I Got the Skillet. When my grandmother <laughs> passed, my sister got got all the silver. <laughs> and you got the skillet. You and, got all but, the cookware. And that's what I wanted. I uh-huh. wanted her cast iron skillet, and I wanted my Aunt Mary's bread bowl. And every time I use them, I think of them. Sure. So send us an email at food at mpbonline.org and share your favorite food memory, your family recipe, or anything that is reflective of, of a good life lived and a, a good meal taken. So now, was this Helen Todd? This was Helen Todd, and uh, I'm going to share her pound cake recipe, because I think pound cakes are such a Southern thing. Yeah, we and got one right here in the room. I know. You, we have uh, Kara White's, Kara That's Norris right. White's cold oven pound cake. With peach drizzle. With peach drizzle. Boy, I, I, is it I good this morning. Java got into that earlier. He, he's, he's thumbs up in there. But Helen Todd's pound cake has been all over the world. My, my sister wrote a cookbook some years ago, and she would take pound cakes to each of her book signings. But instead mm. of a 12-cup bunt pan, she would put them in two six-cup bunt pans, and she would freeze them. And gotcha. then put them in her suitcase, frozen, and by the time she got to the book signing, you know, wherever it was on the airplane or wherever it was, the pound cake would be thawed out. So that became my standard. The flying pound cake. <laughs> became my standard, <laughs> my standard hostess gift. It There's another is. book there, My Sister's Flying Pound, pound Cake. cake. So. And it, has fl- it, it flew to England. So you're going to share your grandmother's uh, recipe uh, online? Yeah, and okay. it, it's originally a, a, a British invention, the pound cake. Supposedly, and it was brought to Virginia before the Revolutionary War. And Virginians are very proud. Maybe that's why your wife. Kara Norris White uh, gets her tradition of being a Virginian. She's from uh, Richmond. And it started because of the weight of the ingredients. That's why it's a pound cake. It Uh was. It's not about the currency, the pound. No, it's about a pound of flour, a pound of sugar, a pound of butter. You get it. I get it, and I get it well. So we have uh, peach drizzled uh, pound cake in the studio. Uh, We have Carol's grandmother's pound cake. If you have a pound cake recipe you want to share, one of my friends on Facebook, when I said we were going to talk about pound cake, said that her grandmother made the best pound cake in the world. And I said, please share the recipe. And she said, no. (laughs) I said, why not, Ann? She said, because it's secret recipe, 
and she sells them locally. So ah. Indeed, you should not share. Well, in this season of farmer's markets, the pound cake is a wonderful backdrop for summer fruits. There's so many fruits. You can put strawberries, peaches, blueberries. blueberries. My gosh. Just load that cake up. Uh, that's kind of funny, Malcolm uh, and Carol, if I could jump in real quick, that she wouldn't share her recipe. Carol, is that really like a like a southern type of thing? Because a lot of times people have these great dishes, and it's like a no, 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 that's a family secret. <laughs> I think it is a southern thing. And, you know, I, I've actually played that game with people, and I've been a pawn. And <laughs> one person, you know, unwilling pawn, you know, uh, a woman uh, named Liz Pritchard in Past Christian called me and said, I had the best lemon squares from your mom. Can you get the recipe for me? So, of course, I sent it to her in the mail, and she served them to my mother at a tea. And my mother just went crazy. She said, where did you get this recipe? She Uh said, your daughter gave it to me. (laughs) She she had been asking my mom. And she'd been saying no. And she'd say, no, it's a secret. You recipe. don't you don't get up in the middle of this secret recipe sh- uh, swapping situation, Carol. No, no. So I, Dero I did not lesson. like that. No, she did. She did not like that. So but, I guess asking you to share the lemon square recipe would be a bit too much. It was not much. a good thing. And then other people have been known to change an ingredient, so oh, it remains that, a secret recipe. That happens all the time. Changing a recipe, one ingredient or one measure, as they say. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to hop over to River City, Vicksburg, put the spotlight on Vicksburg, talk to our great friend, historian, folklorist Bill Ferris, who actually was there to unveil his own blues marker. He has won two Grammy Awards, one for historical album, one for best album, Notes. So you'll hear a lot about Vicksburg food and the relationship to the great Mississippi River. Stay tuned. Give us a call, 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. We'll be right back to take your call. Your home for the arts and music is MPB Music Radio. From classical to bluegrass and everything in between, MPB Music Radio has a sound for every ear. For information on where to find MPB Music Radio, visit mpbonline.org. Welcome back. This is Deep South Dining. I'm Malcolm White here with my great friend and food ethno-eater, Carol Puckett. Ethno I like eater. Ethno I just made eater. that up. I just made that up. Like you made up Skillet Buddy. Skillet Buddy. Uh, that's right. I said that before. We ran that one twice, as it turns out. So in this segment, we're going to put a spotlight on Vicksburg. Kind of uh, a coincidental thing. Uh, neither you or I planned uh, to, to talk about Vicksburg, but my business, my day job, running the Mississippi Arts Commission, had me go to Vicksburg uh, last Tuesday for the unveiling of the Bill Ferris Blues Marker which is marker number 205 on the Mississippi Blues Trail. Uh, And uh, it was a great event to show up over there. I got there a little early, went to the Highway 61 Coffee Shop right downtown Vicksburg, which is in the same building with the Attic Gallery, which is one of the quintessential folk art galleries in the United States of America. Well, I followed in your footsteps, as usual, uh, because I spend the weekends in Edwards, which is only 13 miles from Vicksburg. And I went over Saturday morning, 
and also had coffee and went to the farmer's market and went to a great place called the Mad Baker. Wow. And we'll talk about that. Later. And many times. Many times over. (laughs) So, um, you know, being able to visit with Bill, he talked a lot about, he reminisced a lot about growing up in Vicksburg and things that they ate. Of course, he touched on tamales. How can you be in the Delta or near the Mississippi River and and not talk about tamales? In fact, uh, before we uh, play the, the audio on Bill, I wanted to read a few emails. We've gotten quite a few emails lately. And Carol, I love I'm, to get mail. And, and I love this one. This is from a guy named Tommy who, who not only called in, but he, he wrote to us. And this is what Tommy said about tamales. Tommy said, I grew up a bit south of Albuquerque, New Mexico, where I was used to eating tamales made according to the northern Mexico recipes, mainly red chilies with shredded pork, green chilies with shredded chicken, and sweet raisin tamales, which I've never heard of. It's a dessert tamale. Oh, great. Silly you. <laughs> well, I mean, I figured that, but I've never had it. He, he goes on. So I was shocked and scandalized when I finally decided to give the Mississippi tamale a try and found out that y'all use minced meat. Horrors. Ugh. Can you recommend some restaurants or stands that sell something other than those minced meat? tamales so we'll we'll see what we can find out for you tommy uh we like the minced meat tamales but we'll see who does shredded meat tamales in mississippi and we'll try to pass that on to you uh again we're going to visit uh spotlight on vicksburg and and visit with our friend bill ferris who's a folklorist and ethnomusicologist and a teacher, a philosopher and teacher who grew up in in, uh, Miss, in Vicksburg, who later founded, co-founded the Center for the Study of Southern Culture at the University of Mississippi and then went on to North Carolina. And between those gigs, he was actually head of the National Endowment for the Humanities in, in Washington. For and President Bill Clinton. It was under, Clinton. Uh, under President Bill Clinton. But yeah. uh, Malcolm, I was so happy to know that they were honoring him with the blues marker because I cannot think of anyone who has done more to preserve our blues culture and our food ways and you know, music traditions than Bill. I mean, the first time I met him, he was actually doing field work. I mean, that was like 30 or 40 years ago. Same here. He was, you know, he was out recording people. I mean, he didn't just get on this blues thing no. yesterday. He, he has... He has mined the field. He's been honored for it now in the at the Grammys. Right, as it should be. And proud to know him. And you know, when I first got on the blues thing, which was about 1982, 81, 82, I would go up to the Delta and go see Son Thomas and uh, you know Jack Owens and Bentonia and ride up through the Delta and go to the Delta Blues Festival and stuff. Bill was already there. I mean, everywhere I went, Bill Ferris was already there or been, been there. there. Been there for years, and I remember going to Parchman to hear B.B. King play uh, at Parchman P- Penitentiary, and I went with a group of p- journalists from Jackson, and we showed up, and guess who was already there? Had Bill been there Ferris. for a day and a half, Bill Ferris. <laughs> he probably set the gig up. Yeah, anyway. and he's married to another well-known uh, food historian, teacher, writer, Marcy Cohen Ferris, and she... 
has studied and written several books. Uh, the Jewish food of the American South is really her specialty. Yes, that comes from her Cohen background. We also got uh, in the mail uh, the tamale cornbread dressing. You remember several shows back we featured the tamale, and uh, Lynn Stanga called in with a tamale cornbread dressing. So now we actually have it. So we can post it on the Internet so people can make their own tamale cornbread dressing. Yeah, I'll post it today. Great, great. Uh, So why don't we go ahead and listen to Bill Ferris. And speaking of tamales, and he starts by talking about tamale, and then he takes us on a nice adventure of his hometown of Vicksburg. A little cart with a coal oil lamp and and a red glass that would shine, and you'd see it and go over and he would open up a box as if you were getting ice cream, but it was warm, and he would have uh, hot tamales. My grandmother, who lived to be 105, remembered that when she was a child, the vendors would come to their home, and they would say, I've got fresh beans, I've got okra, and she would yell down, how much is it? They would say 20 cents for a bunch of greens. And so she would put the money in a basket and lower the basket, and they would put the produce in the basket, and she would bring it back up. So these are stories. We had, she had wonderful fig trees that we would gather, and uh, there were all kind of fruit trees And on the farm, when I was a child, my mother and the ladies there would go to the berry patches. They seemed like an acre of blackberries, and they would get tubs full of berries to preserve and make into pies. And a man named Robert Appleton would take his mule and wagon into the swamp in the morning and come back in the evening with... Uh, tubs full of muscadines that my mother would make into jelly. Uh, So food has always been a very important part of Vicksburg, and because Vicksburg is a river town, you had a lot of ethnic foods. My father's poker buddy was Shufi Habib, and each time they played poker, they would go to the home of one of the members And Shufi was a bachelor at that time, and Daddy loved going to his house because his mother would prepare kibbe and stuffed grape leaves and uh, all of the Lebanese food. Then you had Tuminella's, Skippy Tuminella's family. It was a famous place down on the tracks that had wonderful Italian foods and great jazz piano that Robert Wilkerson would play. Uh, And then you had the trains that would come through Vicksburg, passenger trains with uh, the dining cars on them. Uh, And now you have the riverboats, and we've done these wonderful trips on the Delta Queen when it was still on the river with chefs and uh, people working in the dining room from New Orleans. And they would come up for dessert, and you would say, what do you have for dessert? And they would say, we've got pie-yay-yay, we've got honey-do, honey-don't, and make a song out of the food. So Vicksburg 
has always had and Chinese food. We have delicious Chinese foods here, all of which you wouldn't expect in a Mississippi town, but they've been here for generations, and it's a blessing to have that kind of cuisine. That was Bill Ferris talking to me uh, in the noisy confines of the Highway 61 coffee shop right in downtown Vicksburg, which is a beautiful place, telling us about the history of growing up in Vicksburg and the different foods that he experienced. We'd love to hear from you if you have a food experience, a food memory, a favorite recipe, a question about food. Who knows? What do you got, Carol? Oh, Malcolm, I've got a lot. You got, I could talk Vicksburg. <laughs> you want to talk I more about Vicksburg? Well, you went to the Vicksburg. farmer's market in Vicksburg. I did go to the farmer's market, but, you know, my first job was in Vicksburg on the Vicksburg Evening Post when I was in college. So I wow. know my Vicksburg. And, you know, I used to be a part owner and ran two Manella's restaurant that Bill mentioned. Excellent, excellent. In, but, in Vicksburg. Um, Lived there for about a year, year and a half. Lived right across the street from the Walnut Hills restaurant, which we're going to talk about later. You ever been there to the round tables? Uh, yes. You can look at me and tell I've been many times <laughs> to the round table. There's been a lot of fried chicken in my history. Java, do we have time to run that audio, or should we do it after the break? Let's take our break first. Take a break. And then, uh, okay. see, see if we can get some Vicksburg. Oh, is it Vicksburgians? <laughs> Vicksburgians. Vicksburgians. Vicksburgers. <laughs> All right. We're going to take a break. Uh, we're going to. Uh, talk more and more about the summer coming on and the different fruits and vegetables and the markets that are abundant all along our streets, highways and byways. On my way back from Hattiesburg yesterday, I must have seen 15 uh, watermelon stands on the side of the road. It's that time of year. The markets are gearing up. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, one 672 We'd love to hear from you, your food memory, a recipe, or just a thought about food in Mississippi. Stay tuned. Carol and I will be right back. Welcome back. This is Deep South Dining. I'm Malcolm White. I am your host today. I'm also the director of the Mississippi Arts Commission. When I'm not sitting behind the microphone, I am here with my great friend, Carol Puckett. Welcome back, Carol. Yeah, thanks, Mal. You had a busy weekend. It was a long holiday weekend for most of us, the Memorial Day. Uh, we had um, Monday off. Wow. Wow. It was it was great. Good yeah. time for cooking and fishing in, in my book. Did you catch any fish this weekend? I did. I did. I caught bass, uh, a big uh, big bass. Did the you make The proverbial five-pound bass. I did not have a chance to make Bobby Cleveland's sushi. But ceviche. I have, yeah, ceviche. Mm-hmm. But you did, but but I'm going to. You're going to. It's in your in your in your very near future. Yeah, I, and I took a trip to Vicksburg myself this weekend, and the farmers market was was a great treat on um, Saturday morning. But you, you know, not much happening right not now. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. There were a lot of preserved goods, mm-hmm. a lot of baked goods, and you know, whatever I saw. I bought it like these kids from Edwards were selling. They had two or three heads of cabbage. Hmm. So, and I bought some of those patty pan squash in uh, in the Past Christian Market. Uh, in fact, I bought three, and then I went across the street to the Past Christian Seafood Market, where there are three vendors set up in the harbor at Past Christian, and I bought two pounds of good white shrimp caught right there in the Sound. Took that home, 
cut up those squash and sauteed them with a little garlic and onion and some seasonings and and when they Voila. were when they were ready, I added those uh, shrimp at the very end. I did a little different than your recipe. You baked them. Yeah. I just sauteed mine and uh, seasoned them with a little bit of uh, hot sauce and some garlic and onion and such. And well, I will delish. say that your shrimp and squash trump my coleslaw out of my <laughs> fresh cabbage, but I will put up Judy Reed's squash casserole against anything you've made. Anytime. Anytime. You'll take me on. So you had a watermelon experience? I, on the, I as I mentioned a, before, I, watermelons are everywhere, all up and down 49. There are truckloads of watermelons, so they must be... Well, I'm going to tell right. you about those watermelons. Tell me about them. There are a couple of guys at the Vicksburg Farmer's Market. They had a truck, and it had mm. a little tent over the truck. And on the side, it said, Florida watermelons from Smith County. And the, and the word Smith County were really, really big. So I you know, went up and Wait talked to them. I walked by, and, and I thought, you know, I've got to go talk to these guys. And so I said, okay, explain to me about Florida Florida watermelons in Smith County. And they looked at me like I was absolutely crazy. said, well, they're Florida watermelons, but we bought them in Smith County. Ah. So Smith County is so now they, a distribution area? Yeah, so they thought, they thought that that made them Smith County watermelons. But I uh, believe all the watermelons you're seeing on the side of the road right now are Florida watermelons. Ah, uh, imports. Imports. So I'll wait until Smith County watermelons <laughs> are happening. The Mize Watermelon Festival, that, that whole Smith that whole County thing. phenomenon of tomatoes and watermelon. Again, and I think the we're going to do a whole show on, we are. show on that. But these two enterprising <laughs> guys were not selling many Smith County, Florida watermelons. <laughs> well, it was a good try. It was a good try. So um, one thing I'd like to uh, sort of throw out there to our listeners and uh, our supporters is that we'd like to promote more food events. So. If you know about a food festival, whether it's tamale festival or a gumbo cook-off or a chili fest. Or what about the slug burger festival in Corinth? Slug burger festival in Corinth, yes. Or if it's just a fish fry or a barbecue for the local fire department or a cakewalk or a pie sale, anything that looks at fundraising and celebration through the lens of food, we want to promote it. We want you to email us about the event in your community. Yesterday, I saw on a little sign in Star, Mississippi, that on, on June 8th, next Saturday, they're having a barbecue to raise money for the volunteer fire department. So we want to know about those events, fish fries, barbecues, cakewalks, pie sales, uh, any event that is food-related or looks at uh, the, the looks through the lens of food. We want to know about it. We want to promote it. So you can email us at food at mpbonline.org, and we will promote your event right here on Deep South Dining. How about that? So did you eat at Walnut Hills while you were over there? Speaking of Vicksburg. Speaking of Vicksburg. You know, I went on a Tuesday, and for most people, you you would not know this. Walnut Hills is closed on Tuesday. And, And Joyce, the owner, told me that the reason they close on Tuesdays is because it's the slowest day in Vicksburg. Now, Vicksburg's always been a little weird, a little different. So not closed on Monday, closed on Tuesday. I think another thing she said is that they realized that so many things were closed on Monday that they wanted to be open for the tourists who came to Vicksburg. And they must have a 
bunch of tourists. I saw an, a, a map at the Mad Baker, uh-huh. and she has little pins that people put in. You know, she hears an accent, and she tells them to put a pin in the map. I mean, there were pins from Kazakhstan, you know, to China. Wow! I think we don't realize how many people come to experience our culture, our history, and the Mississippi River. Well, that's right. And in, in, in Vicksburg, they come by land and by sea. They they come on the river boats. They come by cars. They come to see the National Cemetery, so the Civil War Cemetery. They they come for the antebellum homes. They come for the for the fine art. They come for the culture, for the food, and they come from many directions. And uh, there is a huge um, curiosity about the Mississippi River and the communities uh, that line our river here in Mississippi. And so I, when I was in Vicksburg, I had the opportunity to go by and talk to Joyce Klingen, who uh, owns Walnut Hills. As I said, I used to live across the street from the Walnut Hills, so it's long been a favorite convenient. of mine. Very convenient. Uh, the Walnut Hills is one of, f- from the best of our knowledge, one of the two remaining round tables in Mississippi. And the other being the dinner bell in Macomb. Correct. There used and to if be. If we're not correct about others being out there, we need to know. We need to know if there's a round table that is under the radar. Because there used to be the White House in Jackson. There used to be the uh, Mendon, round table in Mendenhall. The Mendenhall Hotel. And now we think we're down to two Walnut Hills uh, and, and the dinner bell in Macomb. If you know of other round tables, we would certainly love to hear from you because we like to get around. We we like what's on the round table. And if there is anybody out there that has just moved to Mississippi, when we talk about a round table, we are talking about a round table for the guest, but in the center of the round table is another round table full of fresh vegetables, Cornbread, biscuits, and you you spin it around and grab oh. the dish. It's quite an, an art. I mean, to get a good spin going when you when you get some people that don't know about round tables, they really don't. Yeah, you know, they kind of stop you it don't stop and look. It. No, no, you don't stop a round it, table. This is also known as a lazy susan for other people who might not know the round table concept. And and the etiquette is, you reach up and you. Take the dish off of the revolving <clears throat> table. You don't stop the table. You just remove the dish, get what you want, and replace it, and the thing keeps on moving. It's like a merry-go-round of food. Yeah, and I bet Lacey Susan, it was because Susan got tired of passing dishes around, and Susan must have invented. Susan said, from now on, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna we're get gonna... a table that moves itself. <laughs> right. And, and you people can, can pick and choose. All right, we are going to uh, take this phone call. Uh, speaking of Macomb, no, we're not. Java says you're not taking the phone call. He says we're <laughs> – well, how about our tape? Can we, can we talk to Joyce? We want to talk to, uh, to my friend Joyce Klingen, who owns the Walnut Hills in Vicksburg, because I had a great visit with her on Tuesday when they were closed. Walnut Hills um, was opened October of – or November, I'm not sure which, of 1980. Uh, Kim Ferris and uh, her husband at that time and several other couples got together to open the restaurant, and it was a big success, of course. 
at that time there was a cook who came from the old Southern Tea Room, her to sing Williams, and she's still with us cooking at Walnut Hills at 30, 30 plus years. And at that time, Kim offered a round table, which was kind of unique to the South and to Vicksburg. And so people came in droves. The tourists love it. They still do, I might add. <laughs> and Hertesine oversees the kitchen daily and the same good vegetables, and we try to buy all fresh that we can. They're served every day in the same manner that we did back when Kim opened the restaurant. I bought it in October of 95, and I've been here ever since and still coming to work every day. It's a fun place. People gather on Sunday particularly, and it's a visitation time. People stop and visit with each other, and maybe they haven't seen each other in two or three weeks or maybe months, and it's just, of course, they're all in the way of the waiters and the wait staff, but our staff just knows how to manipulate around them. We're not a large place. It's an old dwelling that was used as a rental house, and Kim took it and rehabbed it. Uh, It's a constant work in progress just on the building. And we enjoy it and love it. And don't know what we'd do if Walnut Hills was not here to get a good martini in the afternoon. Hertesine makes some of the best cakes and pies. And we also have a pastry chef who makes very beautiful cakes and pies along with Hertesine's. And you just about can order anything and we can have it done for you. Tell me about some of the foods that would be on this round table that if you were to sit at one of the community tables. Okay. Um, generally, we have mashed potatoes. We peel them. I've been peeling potatoes this morning. Uh, we peel usually a case and a half on Wednesday. For Sunday, it's two boxes of potatoes. Um, we Herdicine does one of the best candied sweet potatoes you'll ever have. Uh, those are items, and her macaroni and cheese is outstanding. Usually, it's two or three meat Options, uh, okra and tomatoes like nowhere else. But the real, the real sleeper, I guess, in a way, is the Harvard beets. People will come here and say, "I'm not about to eat a beet." Well, Hertzine brings out those beets, and they taste them, and I go, "These are good." <laughs> <laughs> so uh, um, that, along with Xavier and Kenny, make the coleslaw every day. It is his uh, Xavier's grandmother's recipe, and most people go like, we've never had slaw like this before, but it's just absolutely delicious. Um, also, Hertesine makes a cobbler every day of some sort, or banana pudding. Is there any recipe that you could share? It doesn't have to be specific, but just general that, that y'all sort of uh, are known for. A recipe I don't know of, I can't give them in detail off the top of my head. Um, everybody wants to know, how do you fry the chicken? Uh, you salt, pepper it, flour it, fry it. That's all it is. People go, there's a secret. I go, there's no secret. But I think the uniqueness is that our staff that's been in the kitchen so long and they know exactly how to cook it, we use a premium quality oil. We used an oil called Canola Frown. That is a brand name, Frown, and it's high dollar. And that in itself is real good. We've tried to swap out to some lesser 
brands, it never works. And so one day I was trying out one, my husband came in, and he doesn't eat here every day like I do, but he came in, and he doesn't eat chicken every day like I do, but he said, I'm going to have a piece of fried chicken today. And he got and he went like, what would you do to the chicken? It's not the same. I said, well, we're saving $40. No, uh-uh, you're not going to save anything. Go get the right, right oil. And the moral is don't use the cheap oil to fry your chicken. Exactly. Spend the money for the good oil. She says it's their secret. I love a secret ingredient. Right. You wash it, you salt, pepper it, and you fry it. That, and she talked about Hurtacine a lot. Hurtacine was formerly a cook at the Southern Tea Room, which Bill Ferris mentioned. So... Well, it's that time again. We're going to take another break. Come back, take your calls, read your emails, uh, answer your questions, talk to you about food, the people who make food, the food at your table, in your community, and in your family. We're going to take a break. Come back. We're at 1-877-672-7464 or email us at food at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back. If you're a sustaining member of MPB Think Radio, we appreciate your support of our programs. To become a sustainer, go to mpbonline.org. Welcome back to Deep South Dining. I'm Malcolm White with Carol Puckett. We are here on a Monday morning talking about food, food culture, southern food culture, and recipes. And fun stuff like that. We got some emails while we were away, and uh, we got a couple of them. Uh, one was about the, the program that we did on brunch and eggs and breakfast. And uh, this, we, you remember we talked about eggs in a hole, eggs oh, in yes. a jar, all that. Yeah, yeah. So, so we got a, we got another one that said um, that, that this person, Polly, she did not say where Polly lived just going to call her Polly from Tennessee, I think is what we'll call her. She said she makes eggs in a nest, two slices of bread stacked, cut a hole in the top piece, bacon strips, halves on, on the sides. So I she was has trying bacon. to figure that out. If the bacon goes in the hole. It says works. on the side. And then okay. it said you crack the egg in the hole and broil. So it's very much like eggs in a hole and eggs. But eggs in a jar are very different. Yeah. Eggs in a jar is in a jar with grits. Right, which leads me to think about our next email. Carol, Carolyn, she, she, she wrote in from Past Christian, and she said that, you know, beg your pardon, but you guys forgot to talk about cheese grits for breakfast in How your show. How could we have done that? Our bad, our bad. So she said she, used, she makes uh, garlic cheese grits using Kraft cheese in a roll until Kraft stopped producing it. So you can't use the Kraft cheese in a roll anymore because they don't make it. And that's a very famous recipe that uh, came out in the 50s from River Road Cookbook, which was one of the very first community cookbooks. And the people in Louisiana of yes. the River Road gave us that recipe, and it's been passed all over the South. And it was very distressing, and it still is for many people, that you cannot get garlic Kraft cheese or cheese product Mm -hmm. i would call it in a roll but there is a substitution yes it's not quite the same but uh, for all you garlic cheese lovers you can go get Velveeta mexican 
cheese, oh. and it it gives you the same effect. It uh, also is great for spinach madeleine. And what all is in spinach madeleine, Carol? Spinach madeleine would be spinach and a little garlic and onions, and it also is a recipe from River Road. River Road is a section of of Louisiana on the up up where the plantations are right. that runs along the Mississippi Louisiana right. border of the river, yep. and they, that's where they build the big um, uh, Christmas bonfires, the bonfires to along guide the river, Santa to in Santa Claus. Yes, because yes, that's a very he wouldn't know how to how to get there if it weren't for the but bonfires. I, I think I just misspoke on something. Uh, Spanish Madeline takes the Mexican Velveeta. And to improvise for the old garlic cheese, actually chop some garlic and use regular Velveeta. Okay. Okay, that's good. If anybody has... Or garlic powder. Sure. If anybody wants to argue with us about how to make good garlic cheese grits, <laughs> man, we're, we're right we're here. <laughs> we'll take you on all day long. So as we have spoken, it, it is the earliest uh, phase of farmer markets and produce stands. And uh, we, we wanted to touch here on the shell peas and the snap beans. Uh, we know they're coming. You can hear them coming. The ground uh, is abuzz with what's, what's about to be before us. It is. We, Tis we've the season. Had, we've had English peas in over the past few weeks, and they're about gone. And snap beans. We've well, seen some we've snap had, beans. Well, maybe, yeah. I, I have not personally, but I hear there's some out there. Okay. I have seen uh, purple holes, and in fact, I was at uh, Freshway, which is a uh, commercial farmers market. Some people, I think the cockerels from Mize own it, and they had Where's seven. Where's Freshways? It's out on Old Canton Road in Jackson near the reservoir. Oh yeah, yeah, big place. On and the they side. had like six pea shellers going with purple hull peas. I mean, it was quite a racket. I, I tried to tape it, but there was too much ambient noise. But you know, some people say the pea sheller is. One of the greatest inventions of the, of the past thirty or forty years. It used to be that we would take a bushel of peas and sit on the porch, right. and you put them in a pan, uh, visit, yes, talk, gossip, talk, which carry was, on. is a good thing. Sit and, in the swing, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and you know, and and do your peas. But these pea shellers have have made life uh, much easier. And what I'm most excited about this week are butter beans and lady peas. I love the lady peas. Well, and I love the butter beans, too. Yeah, but, um, you know, lady peas are a very southern thing. Mm-hmm. They're they're very light in color. They're very delicate in petite. taste. And they have a and nice sweet They are flavor. petite. They and are a nice petite. sweetness to them. And they are with us just for about a nanosecond. They're like and the strawberries. Yeah. They, 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 they have a very short season. you got to get them. And as soon as I get some, I am going to put up five pounds of lady peas for the winter. And uh, I'm proud to say that I learned to put up lady peas from Lois Kennedy, who is the mother of our friend Donna Barksdale. And Miss Kennedy was from McGee and one of the best cooks uh, that, that I've known. And she let me in on her secret and sit in her kitchen. And one of the secrets that she imparted, it's the, it's the um, sorting of the peas she spends a great deal of time, a great deal more than I ever would since um, you know, I get a little antsy. But, you know, culling the peas and, and taking out the discolored ones so you just have a beautiful, you know, beautiful plate play, play of peas. No, I love no dirty little peas. No, you won't need dirty little peas in your mix. No. 
Nobody likes that. Jim is calling in from Madison. I don't know if it's Madison the city or Madison the county, but either way, he wants to talk about cheese. What's up, Jim? Um, I've been making Spanish Madeline for more than 40 years, and I was crushed when uh, Kraft quit making the jalapeno cheese rolls. But the Kroger sells what they call a pepper jack cheese that is a wonderful substitute, and and it doesn't have the consistency of Velveeta, so I much prefer that. That is a great idea because Velveeta is a, quote, cheese product. (laughs) You are talking about real cheese, so that's pepper jack cheese uh, for your Spanish Madeline. Exactly. It works great. Well, that's great. Thanks for the tip, Jim. We appreciate the call. And, uh, you know, if you want to talk about lady peas or snap beans or, uh, oh, speaking of the shelling device that you (laughs) witnessed in Vicksburg, it's interesting because while you were seeing that, uh, the the shelling operation in in Vicksburg, I was seeing uh, a shrimp picking operation in Pas Christiane. They were bringing a load of shrimp off of a boat, and there must have been 15 people there. There was a conveyor belt coming off of the boat onto the harbor landing there, and these guys were standing over these shrimp, popping their heads, picking them out, and sorting them as they came off. It was quite a production. I've never seen that. I mean, I've seen oyster shucking. uh, I've seen a lot, but I have never seen an assembly line. Of shrimp picking. Like that. But that reminds me, Malcolm, I made uh, Portuguese shrimp this weekend in my spare time from making coleslaw and Judy Reed's squash casserole. But Well, well, tell us. I don't know about Portuguese shrimp. Well, um, from from Portugal? It's a recipe, but my significant other uh, lived in Portugal for a number of years. Yes, he did. The ambassador. Yes, he was an ambassador to Portugal, but it's with uh, paprika, you know, and, and I thought about the difference in some of the European recipes, especially the Mediterranean in Louisiana with cayenne, paprika is fine. It's it's, it's a sweet. beautiful thing. Yeah, it it's was one of the few spices shrimp. we had in in our cabinet as a child. We didn't have exotic herbs and spices, but we did have paprika. The Portuguese shrimp. Portuguese maybe the, shrimp. Maybe we'll maybe share I'll that post recipe. It, maybe maybe you'll post it. Maybe not. Maybe there's a secret ingredient. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe there's a food memory that goes with Portuguese shrimp. All right, this is Deep South Dining, and we are a production of the Mississippi Public Broadcasting's Think Radio. We are funded by generous contributors like yourself. We are produced by Java Chapman, and we have a big time, Carol Puckett and Malcolm White. Please stay tuned now for Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey and Southern Remedies at 11. Join us next Monday, 9 o'clock, for Deep South Dining, right here on MPB Think Radio.